with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show to help you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. And this is season three. Can you believe it? Season three, baby. Season three, baby. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's good to be back after our little hiatus. Um, I must admit it feels strange not doing this even just this intro and outro on a weekly basis, it's kind of like you get used to it. And then when it's not there anymore, you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my time. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty. it was pretty weird actually to not be doing this for so long. I feel a little bit rusty coming back, but here we are. Mm. Yep, here we are. Um, we are back for, yeah, a trilogy of new episodes, which I'm super excited about. So it, in some ways, like, yes, I feel rusty, but in other ways, we did get a little bit of work in, even though we were technically on holiday, even though we were on hiatus. We went on holiday. I don't think we had much for holiday, but... No, not really. <laughs> they got we still got two work days done. of holiday in there. Yeah, yeah. So it's still good for everybody because I am excited for this trilogy of episodes that we are about to embark on. It's a cool way to start the year off i think um starting strong so yeah i'm excited yeah um so there will be obviously more than three episodes in the season but we start the season <laughs> off with a trilogy um called the gatehouse sessions which is really cool so that's what you'll be hearing today for the, the first of the three gatehouse sessions that we did um yeah. there's a very special reason we called them the gatehouse sessions um <laughs> what's what's that reason jesse so we spent um, a bit of time at Tui Ridge Park in just out of Rotorua in um, beautiful New Zealand because we were at our big camp, camp meeting to all the Americans out there. Uh, as we're pastors, we have to be there. It's sort of part of our job description um, and that's fine. We had some uh, time though to record some podcast episodes with some wonderful friends of ours uh, while we're there. And literally the only place that we could find that was quiet enough to record without children screaming in the background or cars or machinery, um, even though all of that stuff pretty much featured in the background of most of our episodes anyway, <laughs> <Yes>. because <laughs> there's nowhere to a ridge that's not quiet. Yeah, so we found this gatehouse, um, literally, it's a gate house, it's at the... It's at the gate. It's the house yeah. at the gate to Tui Ridge Park. That's literally the description of what it is. <laughs> yep. Uh, and everything inside was wood. The wood walls, mm. wood roof, wood everything. So, yeah. yes, it was, it, was it was quite the aesthetic. Yeah. It's a shame because one of the things that we've said that we want to do this year is do video. And I think that doing like a bunch of videos in uh, the gatehouse would have been quite epic. But alas, we did not have the technology this time. Mm. We will eventually, though. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe next time. I mean, we, do, we only do our big camp every two years, so if there is a yeah. next time, it'll be two years from now <laughs> to do a filming in the gatehouse. Oh my goodness gracious! Uh, We'd, that'd be crazy. We'll be up to like two hundred episodes by that point, almost. It's gonna be ridiculous. Well, true. Yeah, I didn't realize yeah. we will be. Almost, probably not quite, but almost definitely. Yeah. So anyway, um, as we said. We are, um, we're back for season three. Um, we're going to seasons. Um, we're excited. So I think it was fitting that we started off season three with a trilogy. 
of episodes. Um, so I think there's a lot of symbolism that we could probably pass out if we wanted to. Um, like Star Wars. There's a trilogy yep. of trilogies. Wow, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's so what we funny. should have done. We should have done a trilogy of trilogies to start off season three. We still can. Maybe we can. I don't know. Let's let's make this happen. Oh no! <laughs> Why is did this, I say that? We shouldn't commit. Is this gonna, so is this episode going to be um, the Phantom Menace? Yes. <laughs> Cue Duel of Fates. Oh my Best goodness song. gracious! Oh, so good. All right, so we're uh, gonna get into our episode, but before we do that, um, maybe we should just take a little bit of a moment. Um, reflect on the holiday period that has been um what is your favorite thing that you've done in the last month in the month of january josh what is your favorite thing that you were able to do i went back to the victorian summer camps in australia where i used to be like a volunteer and used to be like a cabin leader and stuff uh way back when i first sort of started doing ministry and i got invited there to preach and it's literally 10 years since I first went there as a leader. Well, actually, it was the first time I ever went there. And 10 years later, I went back to speak there. And so it was really cool. It was an amazing opportunity. Met some awesome leaders, reconnected with some old awesome leaders that I've known. Um, saw a bunch of kids really step up. Some people who used to be my cabin as juniors step up and now they're leaders doing the same thing I used to do. So that week for me was amazing. It was such a highlight. Um, just mm. loved it so much. The only sad part was um, my Fitbit died on the way home. So now I have an epic watch tan on my arm because I got a mad tan there, but I was wearing a Fitbit the whole time and then it died on the way back. So, Is this the same Fitbit that you replaced after the last big camp where we were both speakers and your Fitbit died on that camp? Yes, it's the replacement died. I don't know so that, why. I've never met wow. anybody with so many troubles with the same watch. Everybody else I know with that watch has had like a flawless experience. So I don't know what, <laughs> what I'm doing wrong. That's like, you're too fit. You're too fit for I'm the Fitbit. I'm too fit for the Fitbit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what about you? What was your, um, what was your highlight? Well, uh, probably the exact opposite to your favorite experience was doing nothing on the week <laughs> after big camp i loved it because i'm um, sorry re remind me when you went to big camp was that like a week after sorry when you went to victoria that was it like a week after big camp yeah yeah, yeah. i had one All week right. back at home when i got everything ready to preach that week and then flew to melbourne on the next tuesday or monday i can't remember right that's right so you had a little bit of a break but not I really had about, yeah, not I had really like, enough i just took a two days in lieu and that's about yeah. it <laughs> insane <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So yes, I I took the week off. On the other hand, um, the following week from big camp, and I was able to just spend time with Karina. Um, we went for a walk every day. I I totally felt like a retiree going for a walk every day at like nine o'clock in the morning with Karina. Literally the only the only people that we saw in our walks were grey hairs. So that was that was fun. Oh, that's um, neat. Yeah, it was cool. Um, and yeah, we just, we cleaned, which is awesome, fun. I love it. Um, and, uh, you know, potted around the house and, you know, unpacked and did all the washing. And, and then once we kind of got our chores out of the way, we literally just, I don't know, we relaxed and we played board games. We got a new board game, um, just before Christmas called Wingspan. Um, and I've been loving it. It's one of my new favorite games. Definitely my favorite game that I've played in recent memory. Um, cool. so 
yeah, that's been, it's been a lot of, it was, it was a great week. Yeah. It's definitely the week that when I'm super busy in the next part of the year, I'm going to look back and just kind of wish, wistfully wish that I was back in that week because <laughs> it was, oh, yeah. it's just nice to stop sometimes. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Oh man. Yeah. I, I should have taken a bit more time to stop, but you know what? I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling re-energized now that I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> It's all cool. I, you know when you start getting like really excited about everything you've got coming up. That's mm-hmm. where I'm at now. So that's good. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So ah. yeah. Anyway, so that's yeah. what we've been doing over January. We'd love to hear what you guys have been doing. So make sure you message us on social or through the website, email us, whatever. We love to hear from you guys all the time about everything. You can just tell us if you did yeah. something really mundane over January. Why not? Be great. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, um, we have new season. We have a trilogy of episodes coming up with the very first one coming out today. We have a new website. We have a new logo. Um, we have a lot of new stuff. So I'm excited as well for what this next season is going to bring because there's a lot of new stuff, a lot of exciting opportunities. Um, and I guess probably the first one is this trilogy of episodes. And we get to start today with a really, really killer interview that we did with the one and only Ty Gibson. Um yeah. yeah, he was a speaker at Big Camp and we managed to pull, get some time off him, um, pull him aside, take him up to the gatehouse and yeah, it was really interesting. <laughs> I've got to say this, I mean, Ty's a really nice guy and he was very, very generous with his time because he is a, he is a sought-after guy, but it was probably one of the um, scarier interviews that, that I've done, I think <laughs> that we've done, in terms of like... You know, like you, you you meet some people and you think, oh, we can have a great conversation, but then there are other people that you're like, oh, we we better like do this the right way, otherwise we're gonna look like total jokers in front of this. Because he's a professional, he's definitely a professional. He travels the world to speak. Um, he is absolutely sought after. In fact, every night that he spoke at Big Camp, he would be waiting in line for like an hour, people wanting to talk to him. So. Uh, very privileged to have been able to do this interview. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So, anything from more from you, Josh? No, I'm good. I think we should just jump into it. All right, let's do that. Here it is. Here's Ty Gibson. Okay, we are here live from the gatehouse. If you hear trucks going past, birds chirping, it's all part of the beautiful nature, this wooden aesthetic that we are sitting in here at Two Ridge Park. Uh, but Jesse and I are not alone today. We are joined by the one and only Ty Gibson. Thank you for being with us. Oh, man, I'm so glad you invited me. <laughs> I love this gatehouse. <laughs> if they could just see that we're surrounded with beautiful polished wood. It's yeah. amazing. It's very wooden. There is a lot of wood going on. Uh-huh. It's very quintessentially Kiwi. I, I've seen this so many different places. The only thing I think is missing is like deer heads and antlers and oh. things like that. And you know, I think that would definitely fit the aesthetic in here. Yeah, yeah. Mm. thanks for having me yeah <laughs> yeah it's awesome so um for our listeners who don't know who you are the three uh, people the, th- <laughs> the three listeners right? yeah. the father the son and the holy spirit no doubt <laughs> um yeah just uh where are you from what do you do your family Well, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. That's where I grew up. Um, My family relocated to uh, Washington State, if that means anything to the Kiwi listeners. That's on the western side of the United States. And uh, and that was where I encountered religious ideas in Washington State. Um, I am in ministry, have been in ministry for pretty much my entire adult life. 
Uh, I first and foremost uh, run a ministry called Lightbearers, lightbearers.org, if people want to explore the material there. Um, I produce video projects, digma.com, short story-based videos, about seven minutes long each, um, and other video projects. And I, I pastor a church that, uh, that I planted mm-hmm. with a few friends of mine called Storyline Church. And, and that's a nod to the idea that scripture is really a narrative. Mm. Uh, it's not a collection of uh, doctrines. It's not a mm. systematic theology. It's mm. not uh, a list of moral mandates. Mm. It's not advice on how to um, get the best parking spot and make a <laughs> bunch of money. Yeah. It's it's a narrative. It's a story. So that's why the church is called Storyline. So that's who I am. That's what I do. Amazing. I do have a family. You mentioned yeah. family. Yep. Um, my wife Sue and I, we've been married since we were 18 years old. Yay. Wow. It's amazing. Um, and we have three children two daughters and one son yeah hmm. beautiful beautiful yeah. amazing so um i'm curious the the name storyline i mean you, you said it was a nod to to scripture so do you have um it is sort of like everything you do around the church is it all based on like being a part of the storyline i i just i really like the name because it's, yeah. it's not just a location name for a church so that's why i'm interested right. you know what yeah. i mean yeah. so so it's really a double metaphor first of all it's it's a it's a recognition and a constant reminder to to all of us who are part of storyline that that the Bible's an unfolding narrative mm. that that God is is a storied being, mm. not um, merely a metaphysical ontological force, but yeah. that God exists and operates within time and operates in relational dynamics with actual people who build history behind them as they go. So that's what scripture is. Uh, scripture is that kind of, that kind of text. Uh, but secondly, it's also uh, a recognition that um, as creatures who are made by a storied kind of God, a narrative God, that we also are storied creatures. We live our lives, and and our lives um, really compose an unfolding narrative. And uh, Storyline is an effort to get people to begin looking at their own existence, their own lives, um, as uh, intersecting with other people's stories and ultimately with God's story. That's that's the idea. That's the concept. Hmm. That's so cool. That's yeah, so cool. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We love a good title here. Like titles are just, okay. yeah. And, and to have a story behind it, that was, that was unintentional. Is, was, uh, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Even better. This today, I was going to say this morning, cause it's probably not even this morning yet, but today we wanted to get into uh, a different kind of story. I suppose mm. you could say, um, you know, Josh and I both more or less grew up in the church. Um, we spent a lot of time in church and our listeners, many of them have spent a lot of time in church. And we hear so many stories about what it's like to be a follower of Jesus, what Jesus, what it means to be a, to be a Christian. Mm. And we also hear the story of what it means to be not a Christian, to be a an evil person in the world, perhaps, or perhaps not with those uh, that language, but certainly with those connotations. So, what it's yeah. like to be us, and what it's like to be them. Um, 
you uh, you spoke to us a few nights ago here at Big Camp about this idea of what it's like to look at Christianity, to look at Christ and the world through those eyes that are not our eyes, through mm-hmm. atheist eyes. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, what does that look like and what does that actually mean for us as Christians? Mm. Okay, well, my eyes are atheist eyes. So, so I was making an attempt to share with uh, the group of people that we're here with who are, by and large, mostly believers, mm. that um, it's a healthy process for us to take a look at ourselves as we may appear through the eyes of unbelievers. And I just went to the, to the extreme unbeliever, which is an atheist, someone who does not even believe in the existence of God. And that, that's me. That's how I was raised. I was raised with absolutely no concept of God. God was nowhere on the radar. There was no such thing as a Bible in our home. I'd never heard of the book of Genesis while I was listening to the rock band Genesis. <laughs> you know? uh, I'd never heard of the Ten Commandments. That's how completely far removed from religion I was raised. And um, there was just none of that. It just wasn't there. It was nowhere to be seen or found or or heard of. Uh, so, with all that absence of religious uh, upbringing and 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 stimuli and input, at the same time there were some things going on. Hmm. Uh, I loved my mother very much, and she was suffering a lot. She was undergoing a lot of abuse uh, as I was being raised. And so there was this overwhelming sense of that's wrong. Yeah. That was somehow arising in my atheist soul. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, here I am, you know, I don't believe in pretty much anything except for I love my mom. Mm. And what she's going through is completely contrary to something. Mm inside of me something inside of me rises up against that and says no that ought not to be and that's just one of the things in in my life growing up there were other things going on i grew up in very um rough neighborhoods to say the least and so there was there was murder and mayhem all the time and i knew that uh, there were certain things that i'll use this language ought not to be Mm. so when i got old enough to start thinking um, philosophically, ideologically, while well, the idea of God was introduced into the conversations around me. And my first, my initial response was, well, that's the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. A mm. supreme being who presides over <laughs> men beating their wives, mm. uh, corporations raping the earth's resources while children die of starvation and they live in opulent you know manhattan penthouses because they don't have enough yeah um so to me uh i thought if god exists and i was pretty sure he didn't Mm. but if god exists he has to be a psychopath Mm. at, at the very least so it was way easier for me just from a purely rational standpoint to say there couldn't be a God because if there was a God, I would have to accept the existence of a monster, Mm. a a supreme being kind of 
you know, an omnipotent monster. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I mean, try, I mean, imagine being locked in a house with with every door and window boarded up from the outside. There's no way you can get out, yeah. and there's only one thing you know for sure: there's a person three times your size and body weight in this house with you, who is diabolically evil and you can't get out okay i'm so scared right now really terrifying (laughs) (laughs) okay so imagine (laughs) me as a kid growing up and thinking that's what you want me to believe Mm. as 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 quote unquote believers christians whatever you are Mm. you know you want me to believe that i live in a universe that I can't get out of. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that there is a supreme being mm. that I cannot escape who would allow my mother to be beat yeah. bloody repeatedly in front of my eyes. Okay, yeah. you yeah. want me to believe that. I can't believe that. Yeah. So the, the evolutionary theory was much more easily to wrap my mind around because then I could look at the world and all the suffering and the insanity and say, oh, okay, well, the reason why there's so much brutality and suffering is because we're just evolving animals and we're going by animal instincts and, you know, we're all going to return to compost at some point, you know, and somebody will grow tomatoes on our corpse and make marinara sauce, you know? So, so there's nothing to it. There's nothing to it. Life means nothing at all. Yeah. That was very easy, except I loved my mom. Yeah, I was going to say, because like life is hard. Life is suffering. Yeah. First law of Buddhism, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But yet there is something in this life, which... Yeah. It's like a tiny, tiny little prick of light in an overwhelming yes. darkness for you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, think about it. If, if I'm merely, if we're merely uh, evolving animals, why this overwhelming sense of justice inside me? Why yeah. that's wrong, that's right, do, don't, ought, ought not. Where does all this ought and ought not come from? Yeah. I mean, if you and I went on a, piece, on a, on a, a bus or a subway public transportation right? You got on that, that bus and you saw a, you know, a 20 some year old guy in perfect health Mm. with rippling muscles, push an 86 year old lady out of the way to get the one Mm. seat available and force her to stand. Mm. Something would rise up inside of you and say, what in the world are you thinking? Do you have no something? I mean, you would expect Something. Yeah, it's a right? deeply immoral situation. Yeah. And yet, on the other hand, under the paradigm that you just described, that is exactly how the story should go. Yeah. You know, in, yeah, a, in, right. a, in a universe that is ruled by uh, might makes right. Yeah. Yeah. Just survival of the fittest. That's you right. know, whoever has the biggest muscles wins. I mean, yeah. how do you have any kind of rational sense of yeah. right or wrong? So that was the conundrum for me. I had an impasse intellectually and, uh, you know, so, so my atheism was tenuous at best. Uh, it was hanging by a thread, but at the same time, uh, if God does exist, then there would need to be some kind of sense made out of, you know, why so many horrific things take place in this mm. world. So. So, so my premise the other evening when, when we were together 
uh, through atheist eyes was, was simply to say this. I was an atheist. Mm. And I can tell you that most of the people I grew up with and most of the unbelievers that, that I encounter through life, most people are not atheists because they don't believe in God, per se. They're atheists because they don't believe in that God. Mm. Right. That God, in quote marks. They, mm. There's a picture that they're pushing back on, right? Mm. There's something that they find repulsive. Mm. Mm. So, so I will more often than not um, put myself in the position of the atheist and sympathize intellectually, rationally, even emotionally sympathize with the atheist position rather than just feel it's my obligation as a believer to to argue them into subjection. I mean, think about it, you guys. If you win the argument in a conversation with your mate who's an unbeliever and you prove to him with the ontological argument for the existence of God and the cosmological argument for the existence of God and the teleological <laughs> argument for the existence of God and you just lay out all this intellectual stuff and you're just philosophical and you just boom, boom, boom and you win the day with logic. Mm. If you prove to your atheist friend that God exists, you have proven to him the existence of a monster yeah. unless you back up a step and talk about the character of the God whose existence you just proved. Yeah. Right. If you just prove it's not. So what I'm saying to you is what I've discovered over the years is the primary question is not a question of existence. The primary question is a question of character. So mm. is that where, I mean, in a way we're doing apologetics right now in a, in a sense, I suppose, mm. but growing up that was one of the reasons that i always was a little bit leery of apologetics mm. because it spent all the time doing the work that you've just described right whilst not backing up this is the god that we should believe in and this yeah. is why it's better yeah. to believe in god i yeah. mean i mean there's pascal's wager i suppose that's the most basic form mm. mm -hmm. um but beyond that it's like it always left me feeling a little bit cold like yeah cool i can i can describe god oh i can describe why god exists and it makes sense to me rationally mm -hmm. and um and all that but really what's the point yeah what's the point i, I always felt that yeah yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah yeah and what what happens is when you when you win the intellectual argument on the existence of god you at very best can produce an intellectual believer who remains an emotional atheist. Right. Mm. So if you just play with that concept for a minute, mm. an intellectual believer who's an emotional atheist, I believe in the existence of God because your logic proved to me yep. that God must exist, but I don't feel warm and affectionate toward the God whose existence I believe in. Yeah. So I think a lot of churches, you know, have people who are occupying the pews, they're going through the motions, they're they're obligated to it because it's intellectually cogent. They feel like, you know, I should believe, I ought to believe because there's some evidence. But emotionally they're cold because God remains an ugly figure in their imagination. Right. Even if the ugly figure is almost a, a little bit subconscious, like they wouldn't describe yeah. 
God like that. Right. But in the back of their head, they've got this thing running because they've never had the character of God adjusted in their mind. They've only had the existence. So mm. they have this constant weird picture of like, yeah, yeah not everybody in the room has the same picture of yeah, who yeah. God actually is. Yeah. Which would be quite troubling to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. To deal with. I was on um, Adventist Record on Facebook this morning. They put out a poll. Do you believe in climate change? And the same... Every time climate change is mentioned in a Christian sense, all the same comments come out. There's the there's the scientifically minded, yes, the scientists say this and therefore blah, blah, blah. And then there's the people. There was this one particular person who said, no, God is in control of all the weather. So what Australia needs to do to stop all the bushfires, to stop all the natural disasters, is we need to prostrate ourselves before God. We need to repent. We need to say we're so sorry. And we need to implore God that he will send rain, that he will send relief. And when I read those sorts of comments, it makes me think, what kind of God are you describing? You're describing a God that is totally fine with millions of hectares of of bushland and homes and farms being destroyed. The Australian koala population almost going to near extinction, people losing their lives, their livelihoods, everything just because a few people haven't prayed enough. I'm like, is that the God that you're describing in this mm-hmm. moment? The bushfires haven't stopped because the whole of Australia hasn't gotten on their knees and said, oh God, we're so sorry, we we repent, please forgive us. Like, it's just yeah. unimaginable. Yeah, paganism is never far from the human psyche. Mm. That That entire process of thought is the historical paganism that everyone from the Aztecs and Incas to the Mesopotamians were always operating on that premise that, you know, if you just sufficiently appease the deity, uh, then, you know, rain will come and he'll, he'll, he'll bless you when he sees that you're sufficiently compliant with his will. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty dark picture. Yeah. And the best you can do with that is you could you could serve it out of fear, but you certainly couldn't fall in love with that. Yeah. 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 There's just no way you could. One of the things that I've found helpful over the years with regards to belief versus unbelief, atheism versus theism is to to always probe the question uh, somebody says, you know, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I think the best response to that, or at least one good response to that, would be to say, well, I don't believe in God either. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't believe in God either. Could you describe to me the God you don't believe in? Mm. And And inevitably... A person will describe a God that is not worthy of belief. And, you know, well, I don't believe in a God who, you know, Mm. ignites bushfires and ruins people's lives because he wants to see some prostration. (laughs) 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 So you see what I'm saying? So, So someone might describe that or someone might describe, well, I think one of the biggest concepts down through history that has generated unbelief in atheism is the uh, the belief or the doctrine of eternal torment. Right. Oh, okay. Absolutely. So this idea that 
that uh, as Christopher Hitchens uh, used to say, uh, God wants you to love him. But just in case you don't, he's created a hell to torture you forever and ever uh, if you don't love him. Well, the point there, it's really an ingenious construct that he's given us because what he's suggesting between the lines is that the threat of torture Mm. necessarily extinguishes the capacity for love. Yeah. So you could lie in the face of the threat of torture. You could say, I love you. Please don't torture me. Mm. But you'd be lying. Yes. You, you can't make yourself, you know, it's, it's like, it's like a woman saying yes to a marriage proposal by a guy who has a gun in his hand to her head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I'll marry you. Don't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only, <clears throat> not only do I want you to marry me, yeah. uh, I, I want you to love me with all your heart. Yes, I do. Yeah. Don't pull the trigger. Yeah, I love you with all my heart. No, she doesn't. <laughs> she can't. <laughs> she doesn't. She can lie to you, but she doesn't love you yeah. because love and coercion or the threat of torture can't occupy the same emotional space yeah. simultaneously. Yeah. One has to give way. I know so much of like, I mean, we mentioned it already before, the, the fact that paganism in many ways has infiltrated our Christianity and our Christian practice. Mm. Um, are there maybe a few other things that would spring to mind to you as far as these are staples of our Christianity or perhaps not even like we're Seventh-day Adventist Christians, but there is a whole huge you know, breadth and depth of Christian tradition spanning 2000 years mm. that many of us unconsciously yeah. draw upon when we think, how do I interpret this part of my life or how do I, what are some of those things perhaps um, uh, that unintentionally reinforce the idea of a God that maybe isn't biblical or isn't good for us? Yeah. Well, the, the absolute most pervasive idea in Western Christian thought uh, that I am certain has pagan origins is what is referred to academically as determinism. Determinism, you hear the word determine in the word. Determinism is the idea that all outcomes are predetermined, that nothing happens except what is supposed to happen, scheduled to happen, determined to happen. So there are various forms of determinism. There is materialistic determinism. This is the evolutionary theory is a deterministic theory. Uh, Evolution, people like Richard Dawkins and and the late uh, Stephen Hawking, um, they both would hold to the idea and any serious Stephen Pinker, any serious evolutionist uh, would say that free will does not exist. It's an illusion. Um, every single event that occurs is the outcome of a series of uh, causal links that produced that event. It doesn't matter if it's what you had for breakfast or whether you cheated on your wife. There is no such thing as moral responsibility. There's no such thing as right or wrong, good or evil. All there is is the Big Bang and all the effects that followed. That's materialistic determinism. Uh, Then... Within Christianity, there is the Christian version of determinism. And that is the only difference between you know, Christian determinism and materialistic determinism 
is in materialistic determinism, the cause of all the events are natural. They're not volitional. They're not personal. Uh, it's just, you know, the world is unfolding from the Big Bang and things are happening in natural process. In the Christian version of determinism, the difference is, is that it's God Mm. who is mm. the cause mm. of all things. Mm. God is omnipotent, therefore God is sovereign over mm. all. God is the cause of everything that happens. There is no such thing as free will uh, because God is omnipotent. And if God is omnipotent, well, then it follows logically that he always gets his way. Yeah. If something were to happen that God did not want to happen, then God would not be omnipotent. He wouldn't be in control. Mm. He would. You'd have to accept that we have, we have a, a God who is less than all powerful. If anything were to happen, that He didn't want to happen. And the and the reverse corollary of that is, if something happens by virtue of the fact that it happened, is evidence that it is the will of God. Right. Because if God didn't want something to happen. If God is almighty God, God is all powerful. If God didn't want something to happen, it would not have happened. Mm. So if you were molested by your uncle as a little boy, if you were raped by your grandfather as a little girl, the the good old predestination preacher will you know tell you that it was the will of God for some purpose it was all part made, of the plan it was all part of yeah. the plan yeah. it was yeah. all part of the plan this is raw paganism it's not biblical it has mm. nothing whatsoever to do with the biblical narrative um and it really hails it actually entered through christianity through a very simple process um the person who introduced that way of thinking into christianity was augustine of hippo mm. And Augustine was a convert to Christianity from paganism. Right. And his paganism was a highly educated paganism. He wasn't your run-of-the-mill, you know, pagan. He was a very intellectual, studied pagan, and he was a follower of uh, Plato and Aristotle's yep. worldview. And so Plato and Aristotle, as good Greek philosophers, believed in a determined universe. Mm. And uh, Augustine simply added Christian language and called it predestination. Mm -hmm. And then John Calvin came along, who was himself a student of the, the works of Augustine, as was Martin Luther. Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. That is, he was devoted to the traditional teachings of Augustine as his primary theological wow. teachings. So these guys came uh, along and they said, Okay, if God is all-powerful, as Augustine has taught us, and that all-powerful God equates to sovereignty over all events, well, then God would be sovereign over salvation. Right. So God predestines who's saved, yep. who's lost. If you're saved, it's because God chose you to be saved from eternity past. If you're lost, God chose for you to be lost from eternity past. There is no free will. You have no choice in the matter. God mm. has created some for salvation. He has created, deliberately mm. created others in order to torture them for all eternity. And so if you're a Christian, you just have to hope that you can attend church and do your devotionals and sing in the praise band and serve and just hope 
that you're one of the chosen ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You might not be. You might not be. But you just have to cross your fingers and your toes, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And mainstream media, I reckon mainstream like Western media pushes that narrative so hard that there are some people and they're just meant to be Christians, you know, and there are some people who just aren't meant for that. Like I just, you see it all the time and it's troubling. Like it's, and the the idea keeps prevailing, especially that whole like, oh, it's all God's, it's all God's plan or whatever. Yeah. yeah, What effect would that have on anybody, a Mm. believer or an unbeliever? As a believer, I mean, if you reason that through to its logical conclusion, what would be the motivation, for example, to pray? Yeah. What would be the motivation to witness? Mm. What would be the motivation to intervene in human suffering? Mm. What would be the motivation for an unbeliever to go to church or become a believer? Right. I mean, right. Sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. What <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. what it is, is not what is not. I'm either going to be saved or I'm not going to be saved because God has unilaterally decided such things. It doesn't matter what I do or don't do. I'm ending up where I'm ending up, heaven or hell. I I find it very difficult to believe that a Calvinist, somebody who is reformed or Calvinist, could functionally be a Calvinist, though, in in certain ways. I love that distinction you've made. (laughs) Functionally. (laughs) Because it's it's hard. It is hard. Yeah. Yeah. How can you believe that either you're saved or you're not saved and you have no choice in the matter but yet you also feel a moral obligation, not only to your fellow man, but to the world. How? How do you fit that in? And not to mention the fact that if paganism truly has, you know, created such a huge influence over Christianity, Mm. there would still be a part of you that goes, well, maybe I could change God's mind if I was not in the good place. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. yeah maybe know. if I, you know, get on my hands and knees and grovel enough, yeah, yeah. I could alter destiny and fate and right. my predestination. Um, maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm like the maybe Greek. human sacrifice would pull it off. <laughs> I've become the Greek mythological hero that goes up onto the mountain to confront the fates to change yeah, my yeah. destiny. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll continue this conversation. Okay, so we've spent a little bit of time talking about the God that doesn't make sense or the Mm. the faith practice that doesn't make sense. Um, You've been alluding to this. You've been hinting at it. You've been going back and forth. Mm. Tell us about this idea, this God of love narrative that you think is superior to perhaps what we've been handed. Okay, well, first of all, um, that was the premise of my own transition from unbelief to belief. I I moved from being a committed unbeliever, a committed atheist, to contemplating, considering the possibility at first. Well, maybe God does exist. But the only premise on which the existence of God could make sense for me was if somehow... I were to be able to understand that God is not ultimately defined primarily by power. So in, in, in most belief and unbelief systems alike, God is primarily, first and foremost, thought of in terms of power. So mm. if God is all-powerful, how could my mother endure the kinds of things she was enduring? I mean, think about it this way. If you have the power of 
a healthy body and you're a good swimmer. That's mm. a power you have. Mm. Right. And you're standing at the, the lake shore and you know, a child of five years old is in the process of drowning. You have the, let's call it power, mm. to prevent the child from drowning. You could jump in, swim toward them, grab them up, take them to the shore, life saved. If you stand on the seashore and you watch the child drowned when you could save the child, you're a bad person. Yeah. Well, you, you, you're, you're, yeah. you're fundamentally yeah. evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, so to posit the idea of an all-powerful God who is, as it were, standing on the seashore of the universe or our world and watching the kinds of stuff go down that are going down on planet Earth, right? Mm. To not intervene Right? Yeah, God would have yeah, to be yeah, well, a diabolical, yeah. bad person fundamentally. Yeah. Okay, but let me just change the metaphor up slightly. Yep. Okay. You're a good swimmer. You have that power. Somebody's drowning. You do jump in to save them. You swim toward them. You grab hold of their body. You begin trying to pull their head up to gasp air, right? And as you're in the process of doing that, you realize that there is some kind of resistance going on mm. and you don't know what the resistance is necessarily but as you begin to feel your way around the situation under the water you realize that this person you're trying to save is holding on to a suitcase full of gold bars oh. <laughs> that is weighing them down and they won't let go of the very thing that is their demise yeah. You've made the attempt, you almost lose your life in the attempt to save them, and they drown. Mm. Well, are you a bad person? No, you're a good person, but your power was not sufficient to alter the free will of the individual who chose a different outcome. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So if you take that little metaphor into consideration, what transitioned me from unbeliever to believer was a change in the fundamental identity of God. Yeah. I shifted from God is ultimately defined and primarily defined as power, just sheer power, mm. to saying, no, God is love. Mm. And if God is love, that creates a whole new construct of reality. That is not to say God is not powerful but that God's power serves his character, not the other way around. Mm. That, that God has power, but God is love. Mm. And if God is love, then that would dictate a certain philosophical outcome. And that philosophical outcome would be that if God is love, he would have to have a value system in his own character in which freedom is more important than control mm. and why would freedom be more important than control well if god is love his ultimate objective for me for you would be that we too would love mm. in other words i could use my free will to harm you or i could use my free will to help you mm. now god if god is love wants me to love you with my free will rather than harm you with my free will. But the freedom has to be there in order for the, the potential for love to exist. The moment you remove freedom from the equation, 
love becomes a non thing it's not there you can't have it you can't produce it there's nothing if 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 we're not free moral agents then we're either machines or we're in the matrix and need to wake up out of it by taking the appropriate pill to discover that everything that we have known so far is illusion yeah right yeah so so if you remove freedom love is not possible so i accepted the the notion the foundational idea that god is love and that restructured my entire worldview on the topic of burning haystacks then you, we mentioned before the whole you know, god is omnipotent god is omniscient god is omnipresent the whole god is love thing does that in the necessity of accepting that destroy the idea that god is omnipotent specifically mm-hmm. um i would say no okay. and here's how a big philosophical blunder in the thinking process is to equate omnipotence with omni-control oh. so it is possible for me for you for god to have power but not exercise it for some kind of motive Mm, mm. like for example i'm a father i have three children i have two daughters one son there's a point at which i realized that even though i could exert my power to control them i should not because there was the higher value at stake of their free will to to be developed into self-governance yeah. So, so I have to decide as a parent, do I want a child that grows up to be a self-governing human being? Mm. Or do I want to raise up a child that is a controlled being who doesn't know how to reason from cause to effect? Mm. I, I would actually stunt the development of my child by controlling the child. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Ultimately. Well, yeah. So 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 it's possible for God to to have power that he chooses not to exert in favor of the higher objective of love and freedom that's a good answer i like that yeah (laughs) yeah i guess it goes to show how deeply entrenched even i am in my psyche of that hellenistic thinking of well we all we're westerners dude we're all we're all (laughs) infected with it yeah 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 Yeah. you know the moment something bad happens in my life i mean i just articulated this stuff just right this moment and an hour later from now, if I had a car accident or something, the first impulse that would rise in me would say, why did that happen? God, did yeah. I do something? To, <laughs> yeah. You know, and then I'd yeah, have well. to push that thing out of my soul like an exorcist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess yeah. in some ways, it's also, it's just the easy way out to say, oh, it must have meant to have been. Yeah, it you releases know? me from all responsibility. If my marriage didn't work out, oh, I guess it wasn't yeah. meant to last. That That's what the Greeks, believed the yeah. Greek the Greeks operated on the premise of what they called fate or destiny of the gods that is a predetermined universe or world and it was it was the the philosophical method of self-medicating against responsibility yeah I mean mm-hmm. think about it yeah. if 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 I've been married for 20 years and I'm 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 a I'm a you know a good Greek husband but I fall in love suddenly, or I think I'm in love with some 20-some-year-old girl. 
and I ditch my wife for the, the young girl, <clears throat> I either have to take responsibility for that and bear in myself the ugly opinion of myself that would arise and go through something like repentance, or I say, Cupid, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the will shot, of the God that Aaron just shot me in the bum. Yeah. And uh, baby, I know that you and yeah. I were married for the last 20 years. I know yeah. that, I mean, but I was meant to be with you, yeah. but now I'm meant to be with her. Yeah. Oh, and if, if the Greek army yeah. would win a war, it was the will of the gods that we won the war. But if they lost a war, yeah. Well, it was the will of the gods that we lost the war. Yeah. We have no, it's not that we didn't train our troops well enough. It's not that we had a bad general, you know? Mm. Smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, get lung cancer, and blame God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I guess what you're, what you're describing, I guess, with the character of God is sort of this, I'm seeing like a tension between sort of the power that he can and, you know, the omniscience and the omnipresence, but then also this huge tension with love and free will. It's yeah. like this constant pull right. against each other and it's, it's complicated, you know? It and, is. And... So I guess what I'm wondering is how do you sort of, I mean, we've, we've been talking for 40 minutes. How do you, how would you explain that to somebody, you know, to help them see that in a, mm -hmm. in a, in a clear and an easy way? I don't know. I'm sure there's lots of ways to, but. Well, I would simply reference reality as we experience it. Right. So, so rather than quoting Bible verses to somebody to try to get them to, to believe it, which is fine at some point, mm. you know, the Bible does teach a certain perspective on the character of God, that God is love, grants freedom, and that even God doesn't get his way. Mm. I mean, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Apparently, God's will isn't always done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus himself said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. I would, you would not. Mm. So, yeah. so scripture very clearly teaches the love, freedom, risk perspective. But the best way I know to get at it is to just ask myself and to ask uh, anybody that I might be in a discussion with, how do we actually experience reality? You know, what would you say is the best way for you as a parent to raise a child? What level of control should you exert to what age? Mm. If, if, if you really have the best interests of the child at heart, do you not need to mitigate your power mm. for their good? Of course you do. Mm -hmm. What about marriage? How do how do you experience a, a, a good marriage? Is it not a truism that to the degree that a man or a woman uses methods of control and manipulation in the marriage, the other party in the relationship will gradually emotionally shut down and back up? Yeah. Is that not simply profoundly the way it is yeah. mm. of course it is of yeah. course it is i teach a marriage course um and one of the things in the marriage course is uh, a, a talk i call the space factor and it's so counterintuitive you know if a married couple is having a, a communication breakdown a relational breakdown 
you know, one party inevitably wants to keep leaning in. Well, we need to talk about this. Well, I don't want to talk about it right now. No, 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 no. We, we need to talk about it right now. We, we have to talk about it. Well, what did you mean when you said, well, actually, I need to decompress. I can't think clearly. Right. No, we need to talk about it now. Now, 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 now. And, and, and that, that whole insistence that on my terms, this will be resolved mm. now will inevitably cause the other party to back up more. Mm. Mm. So I teach the space factor. I say the best thing you can do is to back up from the conflict and let the person who's pulling back, pull back. And you cease leaning in. If you cease leaning in, in a matter of minutes or hours or days, they will voluntarily, inevitably come back to you. Yeah. Mm. They will. Mm. Now, it's going to be the trial of your life. Because yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you're all insecure and nervous and you think, this marriage is going to end. Yeah. She's leaving yeah. me. No, she's not leaving you. She's just fed up with you. <laughs> <laughs> she needs some space, dude. Back off and yeah. just give her some time yeah. and she's going to come back to you. There's an old uh, 38 Specials, uh, uh, 1970s rock band. Uh, one of the best lyrics in rock history, um, hold on loosely, but don't let go. If you hold too tight, you're going to lose control. Mm. Oh, that's yeah. the truth mm. of the universe. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and we always had it from the 1970s onwards. From, yeah, yeah. Well, 38 special gave it to us. We just had to listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should get you back on. Or the ancient Chinese marriage. proverb. If you have a bird in a cage, set it free. Uh, if it comes back, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Maybe we should get you back on one day to do a uh, bit of marriage stuff on yeah. here. But anyway. <laughs> I think we need to get you on with our wives in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Or with your wives in the room without you in the room. That might and then be you more guys helpful. can listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that might be more helpful. That's true. Uh, cool. <laughs> um, all right, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. Um, okay. Is there anything else that you would say on this topic? Um, yeah, just, just to those people perhaps who are sitting out there thinking, yes, I hear what you're saying, mm. but there's still a part of me that I kind of don't want the responsibility of having to make that those choices for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or perhaps they are struggling, struggling to see the God of love and freedom who right. has omnipotent power but doesn't yeah. have omnis omnipotent control. Mm -hmm. I know that can be quite jarring for people who think, I just mm. want to know that God has got this all under control and he's manipulating everything and everything is happening according to his design. For a reason. It's all for yeah, a reason. Yeah, yeah. What would you say to those people who are still kind of just pushing back? I would say that... Uh, that the best way, really the only way to grow intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, relationally is by, uh, by testing the waters, by, by stepping out in a direction, um, rather than just remain kind of back on a purely philosophical level, uh, you might want to test the waters going forward and and say, well, this is really quite appealing. It's attractive to think that God is love and that freedom is the necessary outcome of God being love. That's attractive to me. But what's not attractive to me is the risk that's involved if I'm truly a free moral agent. Uh, well, I would say that although it's scary to step into those waters of love, freedom, responsibility, that 
in a matter of minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, I don't know your situation, any given situation, you will find that you will flourish with freedom in ways that you've never even imagined possible. You will begin to love life in ways you've never loved life. You will see people differently. Uh, you will be able to more easily and freely forgive. Uh, you will begin operating on the premise that life has significance and meaning. Whereas in a determined universe, you're just resigned. You, you don't really have any any input in reality. Well, the worldview I'm suggesting, your input is supremely important. It matters immensely. Mm. And your responsibility will pan out, yes, in some pain, but in supreme pleasure that will ultimately eclipse any pain that you experience. So I would say test the waters. Take on board this idea that God is love when people ask me, say, oh, so what do you believe? You know, what's your doctrine? What's your belief system? I say, I just believe one thing. I believe God is love. That's my one fundamental belief. And everything else that I believe either matches up with that reality or contradicts it. If it contradicts it, it's either because I don't understand the thing and I just hold it in reserve, put it you know, on the back burner, so to speak, uh, or it's fundamentally false. Anything that does not match up with the God is love premise is either a false doctrine or something I don't sufficiently understand to fit into the God is love paradigm. Wow. So yeah, I just move forward. I would just encourage people to move forward and test the waters. That's what I've been doing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a really cool, I don't know. I think that's a really cool spot to sort of, to sort of land it. Um, but I am curious though. I, <laughs> I was going to land it, but I'm curious. So what's sort of the response when, when you, you know, people ask you and you, your response is my belief is God is love. Well, is they inevitably just... say, well, what do you mean? You don't believe anything else. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I say, well, I do believe other things as, as an extension of that one thing. Yeah. I do believe other things. For example, because God is love, I don't believe in eternal torment. Mm. You know, I, because God is love, I believe that salvation is necessarily a gift rather than a meritorious exchange because God is love. Mm. Wow. So the God is love premise is, is you know, it works itself out in other ways. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Ah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, yeah, that's a really cool spot to land it there, I think. And um, so for people who maybe want to get in touch with you or to keep mm. up with what you're doing, what's the best ways that they can uh, uh, plug into that? My primary website is lightbearers, lightbearers, it's a weird word, dot yeah. org. <laughs> um, and then my app where a lot of my messages are uploaded uh, each week is called Storyline Adventists app on mm -hmm. your phone or your device also the website storylineadventist.church i think it is and then i produce um short little story-based videos about seven minutes long each uh that website is digma d-i-g-m-a digma.com digma is from the greek word paradigma 
Oh, right. Paradigm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. I was thinking shovels and dirt. I, I yeah. will admit, I'm not very yeah. spiritual. Like, a lot of people, they hear it, they think dogma. No, not uh. dogma, digma. <laughs> so those are ways that people can access uh, my work and explore it. I've written a number of books. You can access those books uh, at the lightbearers.org website. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ty. We've really appreciated having you with thank us. You. Uh, this has been fun. Yeah, it has been. Maybe thank we'll do you. it again one day. All right. <laughs> and that was our interview with Ty Gibson. Can you believe it? That happened. That actually happened. <laughs> I can't believe it. Not me. Not me, man. <laughs> no, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I loved how he shared his story um, and the idea of being looking at faith through atheist eyes isn't just a concept for him. It's very real, and um, yeah, that helped me because I was I was uh, raised in faith, um, so to be able to hear that perspective was um, yeah, I guess really motivating and moving for me. Yeah, full on. Hey, some really interesting concepts to unpack there, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So please make sure you get in get in touch with us. We'll have a little discussion point go up in our Facebook group. Uh, but if you want to get in contact with us about anything you heard today, we'd love to hear from you. So the best place to go for all things Burn the Haystack is, of course, burnthehaystack.org, which is Amazing. newly renovated, looking schmick as. Thank you, Josh Wood. Um, looks beautiful. So make sure you go and check out the new design as well. Yep. And if anybody ever asks you what is the best way to listen to Burn the Haystack, of course, you can listen to it on Spotify and Podbean and Stitcher. But actually now with our new website, probably the easiest way is literally burnthehaystack.org. The front page, you can just literally click play on whatever is the latest episode. So whatever episode has come out most recently um, will appear on that front page. So it is literally the best way to listen to Burn the Haystack in the 21st century in the 2020s 2020s (laughs) yeah um so if you've been listening for a while and you haven't already please hit that subscribe button smash that subscribe button um and uh follow us along with all the content that is coming out we are back into it for our third season so expect to see a lot more episodes in the coming weeks and months and if you already have subscribed for us to us for a while and want to support us help us get more exposure more get us more out there um, you can do that by writing a review on your podcatching app of choice if your podcatching app of choice does not have a review function just head over to apple podcasts and you'll be able to relieve a review there yeah and um, another way that somebody has supported us and we want to say massive thank you uh, because I mean we don't really push for this and we don't think you have to um, but somebody chose to do it and it was really special and has helped us and basically really set us up with season three and four and probably five um, (laughs) really well (laughs) so um, yeah we just want to say a big thank you yeah so uh, one of our listeners who has been really supportive to us over the years has actually um yep financially supported us in a really significant way um so rochelle riley who is a native new zealander i just want to give a big shout out to you um and if you are listening rochelle we love you we thank you so much for your all your support um yeah we just know that you uh and your family are such a huge part of what we do and we're just super grateful for the way that you've um yeah just been so generous because yeah i don't know it's just it's just really cool and again as josh said we we never really ask for money um in fact um yeah we never 
advertise it or anything like that but um it just feels so humbling when somebody wants to support us in this way um rochelle isn't the only person that supported us in this way there have been one or two other people over the years that have um so thank you to you rochelle and to everybody else who has supported the haystack um whether it's with your finances or with your encouragement or just your prayers so yeah we really appreciate that Absolutely. So that is all from us. We love you guys. Stay awesome. That is Josh and Jesse out. <laughs>